Welcome to the Library Love Fest podcast. I'm Virginia Stanley. And I'm Lainey Mays. We are the library marketing team at HarperCollins Publishers. Join us every week as we present buzzworthy books through author interviews, conversations with editors, and expert opinions from librarians like you. Enjoy the show. Book Buzz, HarperCollins Book Buzz. Check it out. Book Buzz, HarperCollins Book Buzz. Brought to you by Library Love Fest. Hi, everyone. This is Lainey from the Library Love Fest team. We're back for another episode of Editors Unedited, and today I'm very excited to welcome Julie Will to the podcast. Julie is Vice President and Editorial Director at Harper Wave. Hi, Julie. Hi, Lainey. Hi, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and you have a very fun author guest, so I'm going to hand it off to you. Great, thank you. So today I'm really excited to introduce to everybody Dr. Tracy Baxley. Tracy is the author of Social Justice Parenting, How to Raise Compassionate, Anti-Racist, Justice-Minded Kids in an Unjust World. Tracy's a professor, consultant, parenting coach, speaker, and mother to five biracial children, and the creator of Social Justice Parenting. As an educator for more than 30 years with degrees in child development, elementary education, and curriculum and instruction, she specializes in diversity and inclusion, anti-bias curriculum, and social justice education. She lives with her husband and children in Boca Raton, Florida. Hi, Tracy. Hi, Julie. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. So after reading that impressive bio, before we get into the book, I just wanted to sort of give listeners a better understanding of of your experience and sort of how your you know professional life has led you to write this book. Yes. Yeah, so um, I guess when I tell my story, I usually go back to my childhood, um, where uh, as a little girl, I lived in like an all black kind of um, village neighborhood where everybody everybody knew everybody and all the parents were in charge of all the kids. Um, a place where I definitely felt like I belonged. Um, and then we moved um, in the middle of uh, third and fourth grade to a all white neighborhood where my family was the only black family. And it was like a struggle to figure out where, where I fit into everything. Um, and I think looking back, it was really my first uh, experience with belonging. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it was where I decided that I didn't want to belong to just one place, one group, and sought out belonging for others um, in that space. And it kind of led me to my teaching days where I always felt like I was the one looking out for the kid that didn't fit in somehow. And um, just kind of been my passion and my thing for as long as I can remember. And it really, I think it really, solidified kind of where I am now. It really kind of sharpened my passion for this idea of diversity and belonging as a professor and now as a consulting and coach working with families um, on creating spaces for their own kids so that their kids really grow up creating those spaces in the world. And what does that look like when you say you work with families on creating spaces for kids? What kind of work does that involve? So I work 
one-on-one -on -one with parents who really want to do work in, in anti-racist peace areas. Um, or um, a lot of times I have um, maybe white parents who have adopted black children or white parents who are now uh, the mothers, normally they're mothers of biracial children and really want to figure out how to create uh, safe space and uh, cultural, positive cultural um, outlook uh, for their kids, identity for their kids. And I also do group coaching work um, where I have a social justice parenting program. It's a six month program where parents go through a lot of the, the rocks of social justice parenting, which is part of the book. And um, just, just helping and guiding parents through some of the things and some of the issues that are going on in, in today's world that we are now aware of and we are now trying to figure out how to navigate. Right, I think, I think, I mean, I count myself among them, right? When your proposal landed in my inbox more than a year ago, I was looking for a resource to kind of help me figure out how best to have these conversations with my very young daughter um, in an age appropriate way. And I wonder sort of, you know, what does your average client look like? What kinds of questions are parents asking you right now? Yeah, Julie, I think you are one of my clients, <laughs> which is why it was great having you edit the book, right? Because you knew um, the types of things that you would want in a book. Um, and it, it made it great for me to write to the audience of one who was a great um, avatar really for, for, I think, the readership. So having you was very helpful with um, creating my voice in a way that it landed nicely with you. But I think a lot of the questions that I'm getting now are just um, how to get started. People are still sitting in that, that space of fear, um, wanting to do something, but not sure how to start, what to say. Um, a lot of the parents that I work with, they talk about their own upbringing and how talking about race wasn't part of that. Mm -hmm. And so how do they start to have those conversations with their children? What does that look like? Um, and how to get over the fear. Right. I think, I mean, that's such a central concept, right? That's something you and I talked a lot about on the page um, was this idea of fear being so prohibitive of, of progress in these areas. Um, and one of the things you said that really resonated with me that I, I feel like I quote you all the time on this um, is that parents are so fearful of doing about doing what's best for their child that it keeps them from doing what's best for, for all children. Um, I wonder if you could elaborate a little bit on that. Yes, and that, that's what that fear does, right? It keeps you in a state of thinking only about your own ch children, um, trying to protect them, trying to keep them safe. But what it does is it leaves other children who don't have that same privilege of staying safe um, out to fend for themselves. And so I think when we begin to step outside of that fear and recognize that any steps that we make toward telling our kids the truth, uh, and I don't mean they have to know every gory detail, but we want to be able to kind of let them lean into their natural curiosity because we know children ask a lot of questions. We don't want to shut that down. We want to be honest and sincere about our answers in a very age appropriate way. But until we start to do that, uh, it's very difficult for us to be able to see the world from somebody else's perspective. Like, uh, for example, I, I don't have the privilege of keeping my kids in that bubble. Um, I have to talk to my kids about what's going on in the world to keep them safe. And I'm hoping that the work that I'm doing 
it's not just about my kids, but it's about keeping your kids so that they feel safe around people who are different from them as well. Right. I mean, I love that shared kind of value, right? That it's about not just making the choice that you might perceive as the best for your individual child or family, but making the choice and then infusing those values into your home um, about, you know, a choice that supports the, the health and well-being of every child in your community, which I think is is a missing piece in this work for a, a lot of parents. Yes, and I think uh, the shift from uh, protecting to preparing, I think, is a big shift that I think a lot of white parents are making now um, because they're they're recognizing that it's not really serving their children um, well. Um, we and I talk a lot about this idea of parenting being a form of activism. Yes, and that where we are not talking about things in our homes, that's saying a lot, like the silence speaks volumes. And so if we want to raise the children that we want to see in the world, it has to start in the small things that we're doing every day in our homes, those little changes, those little conversations, um, you being vulnerable as well, you know, your child seeing the way that you're dealing with your big feelings are all part of the activism that happens in our homes that starts to shift the way we show up in the world. Right. I actually, I, I, um, I wrote down a quote from the book because I love, love the way you talk about motherhood as a form of activism. Um, I think it's just, it's so empowering and it's opt so optimistic. In the book you write, I believe that there is something extraordinary and formidable about a movement of moms. We are co-creating a new cultural paradigm for our children. Moms in action create safe spaces and places of belonging. We build agency and self-advocacy for our children in our homes and in our communities beautifully do right yeah <laughs> thank yeah. you yeah yeah um, I mean, when you think about all the mom movements that you know historically right you know it, it and I love dads too but you know when a mom makes up her mind to do something um, especially when it when it comes to her children I, I just think we can just change the world I just I really do I mean I I feel very um, passionate about that and I feel very hopeful yeah and I, I think we can do that. I think I think moms are a pretty strong force to be reckoned with. Um, I wonder when you talk about creating these safe spaces and places of belonging at home, on a practical level, right? What does what does that look like, and how maybe you can explain sort of how that dovetails with, or how that sort of lays the foundation for um, our kids to be pro social justice, you know, and out in the world. Yeah, I think um, if we want to raise kids who are activists and allies and agitators, they have to find their voices, right? And to find your voice, you have to be in a safe space to be able to cultivate that. And so I think in some senses, it could be like a physical place in your room where kids are able to process their big feelings. But a lot of it is about having the open dialogue that's needed, um, giving your children space to voice those big ideas, those big concerns, those big questions in a way that their vulnerability um, is safe. Right. Um, it's also about you showing your vulnerability in ways that they can recognize that this is a place where we share, this is a place where we help each other, this is a place where we listen. So having open dialogue, um, actively listening, um, I know. 
you know, sometimes it's hard when your children are telling you things that are hard to hear, but it, um, your nonverbals count too. Um, and so I think it's really important that we are mindful of the way that we feel and the way we look when our kids are coming to us. I know there's some families that have like um, safe space words. So if my child is saying that word, I know everything that he or she is saying right now, he should be or she should be protected. Um, no matter how hard it is for me to hear, we used to have um, like open dialogue jars with popsicle sticks where we would have some funny and um, kind of topics or sentence starters, and then we'd have some serious ones. So we knew we were at the table having this kind of game, that this was a place that we can say our real feelings. So I said, when you have those safe spaces where kids can open up and talk, um, it leads to them being teenagers who are talking about things. Um, and then they lead to, to young adults who are out in the world who know how to use their voices. I love that. As soon as my daughter can read, I'm going to use the popsicle stick game. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, you mentioned among the qualities we want to instill in pro-social justice children is being an ally. And I think, and you talk about this in the book, how that's become kind of a charged word and it's, it can be tricky to define. And I would love to hear sort of your perspective on that and, and also what that looks like both for parents and for children. Yeah, I think, I think we think uh, advocacy and ally work is something big and something hard, um, but it, it's small things that we're doing. And I think that the, the only way to do it wrong is to not do it at all. Um, because when you're doing um, ally work, you should always be in a space where you're feeling a little bit unsure and you're a little bit uncomfortable because it means you're doing the work. The minute it gets easy, it means that you've outgrown that space and it's time to push yourself a little bit more. Um, and then allyship, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're on the front line. You can do it in the quiet spaces of your home, whether it's reading with your children, you know, those are like the low hanging fruit that we can do every day. Um, there can be things that we're doing uh, quietly, you know, writing letters, talking to our kids about, you know, how we show up in different spaces. It could be actually going to the rallies and, or, and doing those things too. But there's a lot of room between doing nothing um, and then doing the things that you think may be considered more hard or more dangerous. Um, but doing nothing is a really option of doing it wrong. Um, knowing that you're you're gonna get you're gonna say the wrong thing sometimes. I mean, I'm learning too, not necessarily in the race space, but when I'm showing up for my friends in the LGBTQ community, right? I'm saying the wrong thing sometimes too, but it's not gonna stop me from learning and trying and growing and standing in the space or in the gap or using my privilege and power in some ways so that I'm advocating for 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 them. I love that. And so when it comes to younger kids, and obviously there's different, um, there's, there's different things that are appropriate for different ages, but, you know, what would you say is a sort of an example of, of allyship in action for a school-aged child? I think talk, talk again at home, right? Talking about it at home, talking about the differences that people are afraid to talk about race and what that looks like and how we're different and how we celebrate those things. Um, to me, that's part of activism too, right? Knowing, moving away from this colorblind um, idea that we love everybody and that um, we don't see color 
is really the wrong message um, because your children see color. (laughs) And when you tell them we don't see color, it's like, what are you you saying? Like, what is that message really? So I think being honest and telling the truth, um, having your children um, stand up for others, um, this idea of creating empathy and compassion. And I think it's really important that even at a young age, when kids are like three and four, we have to tell them about privilege, right? Right. We have to let them recognize that we have things and we have positions in our lives that are um, different from others. And in some of those spaces, we have more power. In some of those spaces, we have less power, right? So like when my kids were younger, we talked about what it was like to be Black, right? What does that mean in the real world? I talked to my daughter about what that means for her as, as a woman, as a girl, as a young, young, young lady. Um, but I also talked to my kids about um, socioeconomic, right? We have a lot of stuff. We are lucky and blessed enough to, to have more than we need. And so in that space, we're privileged. So then what do we do? How do we navigate in the world so that we are helping those or supporting those or empowering those who may not have privilege in that space. So I think really outlining to your children what our identities are, how we have privilege in some spaces, it can be done really easily. You know, you're just listing these identities. You're a girl, you're a boy, you know, or you don't identify, whatever it is that, that, that your child is. Okay, what about our race or the color of our skins? We have white skin or we have brown skin. Your friend such and such has a different color skin. In our world, in the society that we now live in, because we have white skin, um, that often gives us more power or more privilege, or we get we may get away with things that our, our your friend John does not, or whatever, right? Same thing with when we're talking about socioeconomic. We have a lot of things. Other families don't. It's not because they don't work as hard, right? But it's sometimes it's the system and the way that the world works that some families don't get as much or don't have a a high paying job as much as your mom and and I, or your dad and I. So I would just lay it out in very plain language um, so that they can understand. But I don't think we give them them enough credit for really being able to understand and unpack um, kind of what we as adults are doing wrong, right? Because kids want to know and they want to fix things. They don't want to just hear about it. They want to fix things. So then the next question is, what do we need to do as a family? What is our responsibility as a family? Let's list some ways that we can support people who may not have the same things that we have or that society is unfair uh, and treat them differently because of their skin color. What is our responsibility as a family to do something about it? Uh, And then come up with a list of things you can do. Yeah, I love how um, how action oriented all of this is. I mean, we talked a little bit about in the book about how I think some there's a perception sometimes, a kind of naive perception that raising a nice person is is enough. Like you know, raising a kind person is sort of doing your job ethically as a, as a parent. But there's this missing piece, right, which is the active part. Um, and when you talk about being an anti racist or being pro justice. There is a, there's an implied action there. And I wonder if you can maybe elaborate a little bit more on that. Yeah, I, I, the short of it is 
if you're you're if you're raising a good person, right? The good good person is kind of almost passive, right? So if I'm raising a good person, I'm raising that person to um to be to be safe, to be nice, to treat people nicely, right? Um, if I'm raising somebody who's more pro-justice, I'm raising them to do something about the things that are going on in the world. So I think um, being a good person is more um, is less action, right? It's 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 more safe to me, uh, and to me, it's like the low bar. Yeah, it's more right? idealistic too. Yeah, yeah. It's I mean, nice is nice. Um, but the world is not always nice. And so right. how, how can you arm your kids with strategies, right, to combat things that aren't nice and to call out injustice when they see it? Yeah. And so raising good kids is about like raise them to do no harm. But when you're raising anti-racist or pro-justice children, you're raising them to intercede when harm is being done. Right. So it's more of a um, active way of raising kids to be intentional and compassionate, um, to be the anti-racist, to be the agitators, to be the allies. Those are the pro-justice children or the anti-racist children versus raising kids to just just be nice. Right. Um, I think we have time for one more question. This is just a personal question that came up while we were talking. I was thinking about you know, in the book, you talk about how kids are never too young to start this conversation. It's important to start it early, um, which I think is a, is a big hurdle for a lot of parents because they're, you know, they're afraid of scaring their child or, or whatever. Do you think that there's also, there's an advantage to starting this early because the younger a child is, I, I mean, I feel like young kids are kind of, um, their compass is kind of aligned in this way from the start that they're always Kids are so concerned with what's fair when they're really little. It's something that really occupies a lot of their mental space. And maybe the earlier this, you know, this conversation starts, the, the more traction it, it gains. Yes. And not only are they um, focused on what's fair, they're also focused on how do we fix this, right? right. What, do we, what do we do about this? And they want to be and helpers. I, <laughs> they want to be helpers. They want to be helpers, yes. And the other thing, too, when you think about starting young, um, you don't have to unlearn. They don't have to unlearn because the minute they start being on the phones, right? The minute they start to go out into the world, they are going to pick up on these cues, right? If I'm walking by, I'm walking with my mom and somebody, a black man say, walks across the street, I'm going to feel if my mom gets nervous, like those cues are going to be there. And so I am teaching my kids what to feel and what to think before I'm even ready to have the conversation, right? They're already knowing those things. So the earlier you start to talk about it, even if you're saying, I am afraid, these are the things I'm afraid of. Let's figure out how we can get through this stuff together. Um, the more you, the less you have to unlearn. Um, and then when you start young, they will start repeating what you say, right? But there'll still be like a lot of gaps that really doesn't make sense with what you're trying to teach. But you get to see what those gaps are and you come back, right? Part of part of the teaching is always to come back and redo and redo and have a, a follow-up dialogue around it. And so when they're young, you get to see where those gaps are and how to fill those gaps as they get older and they can handle more details and more conversations around some of the bigger, tougher issues. I love that. It gives me, gives me even more, um, even more incentive to keep, keep 
putting into action everything I learned from editing your book. <laughs> yeah, because even if they don't get it early, just keep pouring it in. Yeah. And eventually it'll make sense to them. Yeah. At the end of this book, you have this really wonderful and extensive um, rep resources section for parents um, that you categorize by a reading level or age level. Um, and you offer appropriate books for, for all, you know, from, from sort of newborns to high schoolers. Um, I wonder since we're, you know, we're talking to librarians here and they're going to be recommending books to kids and families. If there are a couple that really stand out to you that you'd like to mention. That's a good question. Um, I'm a little partial to, to the young adult books. I love them because they are um, really more in depth and they are really using um, what's going on in the world as a way to really kind of reach the young adults. Um, the, the books are categorized by age and grade and also by topic. So we have a list of books for each of the chapters that we have. Anything by Jacqueline Woodson. She's my favorite um, author of all times. And she goes from preschool to high school, actually, to adults. So any of her books that we have, I think like three or four of her books in that, I would say those are my favorite. Another one of my favorite authors that we have in there, a few books, is Patricia Polacco. She's one of our favorite um, authors, too, because she takes real issues from her life and she puts them into a book. Uh, where every kid can identify. I mean, she has a lot of opportunities in her books where people can be upstanders. Mm -hmm. um, so I would say those are my favorite two authors that um, are part of the uh, book reference. Excellent. I'm sure that's helpful to librarians to, to have those picks from you. Thank you, Tracy, so much for taking the time to, to talk. I really appreciate it. It was great to hear your voice. You too, Julie. Thank you, Julie. Thank you, Tracy. This was really, really wonderful. And I just want to remind all of our librarians out there that they can get the e-galley on Edelweiss and NetGalley so they can get reading. And um, just a reminder that the book goes on sale October 19th. So you have some time to read that e-galley. And I thank you so much, you guys, for doing this. Thank you. Thank you, Lainey. Thank you for listening to the Library Love Fest podcast. For more information on this week's episode, go to librarylovefest.com. Enjoying the show? We would love to hear what you think. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Library Love Fest and on Instagram at Harper Library. Be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and share the show with a friend. Lastly, if you enjoy our show, we bet you'll enjoy all of the other podcasts from HarperCollins Publishers. Find a list of shows at harpercollins.com forward slash podcast. See you next week. Thank you.